Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Customer Cafe by Calabria. Calabria is a tool that turns good account managers into great account managers through the power of great collaboration. A great account manager is a team player. This podcast is made for those in sales, customer success, and account management as a place to caffeinate, ideate, and collaborate. Subscribe now for the latest brew. Let's Let's hit hit the the grind. grind. Okay, welcome to the show. My name is Menachem Pritzker. I'm the VP Growth uh, here at Collabora, and I'm joined by my co-host Sharon Weiss Greenberg. Hey, the, <laughs> uh, our senior content manager uh, at Collabora, and we are joined today by Risa Hinks. And Risa and I go back. Um, we work together at Gravity, where she is the senior director of enterprise sales and the salesperson of the year in 2021. She's a rock star. She's also newly married, Mazal Tov, Mazel. And um, you were a former Division One college athlete, which I, I didn't know from working at the University of Texas at Austin. I will be a Longhorn forever. I was a brewer. Yeah. What position? Are there positions? It kind of flip-flops at the collegiate level, but I was between stroke and sort of that middle powerhouse seat. So yeah, it was a great experience. That's really cool. Where I got all my grit from those rowing years, for sure. Did you do rowing before or you just like picked it up? I did it pretty much from, yeah, a young age, um, was recruited and then decided Texas was the place. Great year to be there. Championship year. So yeah, it was fantastic. The rowing team actually has just continued to get better um, post-departure. So not sure what that means, but (laughs) really proud of the girls. Yeah. Are you still a sport person? Do you do sports? I am. I've done a lot of coaching since um, those days, and I'm more so a tennis person now, but, you know, those lifetime sports that don't give you injuries. So, but definitely still love the outdoors and certainly the best place to be in the world to do outdoor activities year round. So, yeah. Amazing. Okay. So, Risa was a collegiate athlete. And in terms of work, um, not only has she been salesperson of the year, but her background in the past was in marketing, community relations, and fundraising. I'm, I'm curious to know, do any of those past work experiences, you think, did they help you transition into the field of sales? Yeah, I think any sort of community relation type role where you're working with people and you're bringing teams together and you're trying to create that feeling of community definitely supports I guess, any sales role where you're trying to build new relationships and further those relationships toward a sale. Um, In my particular case, working for Gravity, because it's so focused on fundraising and building community authentically, it's a total, I mean, it's it's amazing (laughs) that I have that past experience. But I think generally speaking, that skill set, I would say, tends to support the skills you need in sort of that customer-facing role. And that could be customer success to account management, um, I've done it all. So, but certainly within my current sales role, I take a lot of the the skills I learned along the way in fundraising and in building those authentic relationships and apply them, yeah, to my customer relationships. Did you go straight from fundraising into sales and account management? I so I have this your a first, weird crooked uh, path, yeah. I'm, as I'm sure we all do. My background is actually in kinesiology, so I have a degree in the sciences. Um, I did that for a few years. Didn't love it. Um, it was sort of, you know, when you're really good at something, I think 
they advise you just to go into that field. And so mm -hmm. that's not necessarily what my passion was. I always had this sort of business mindset. My entire family was in sales. So um, that, you know, brought me through degree, sort of first work experience. And because of that kinesiology experience where I was working with teams of people, trying to heal them, get them, you know, to feel better. Um, it was, it's, it was transferable to sort of more community building roles. And so any sort of community building role, I mean, some are fundraising focused, some are not that brought me to an alumni relations role where I was building an alumni community and trying to keep them connected with the organization. And through that used a software that brought me into that sales realm. So, um, definitely was not my intent. And I was fortunate to have a strong leader at the time who saw those skills and wanted to hand pick me and, and pull me along. Um, but yeah, had no intention of landing in sales ever really, <laughs> ironically. Oh. Yeah. It's going well. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's, um, especially as a woman in sales, I don't think that's a rare thing. I, I don't think this is positioned as a career that's necessarily, Maybe it's just, we're just unaware of it. So I was never sort of taught that this was a very lucrative, viable op you know, option for me. So I think that, um, you know, I was fortunate to sort of stumble into it, but I think moving forward, I've, I've had a very loud voice within my community of friends and anyone who's going through college or choosing programs that are sort of alternative to, to kind of showcase that this is an incredible path to to start on. There's so much opportunity. So is this a career path be. that you think other people in fundraising should, uh, should consider? I definitely oh, do. Is it a natural transition? Because, yeah. yeah. I simply because it's, if you have the ability to talk about money, that's a rare skill. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the biggest, I guess, something I thought would be a bigger challenge than it actually has been is the ability to navigate those conversations and negotiations. I just, I just figured that people had this like um, natural ability to feel comfortable in those discussions and having had that past experience in fundraising, which sort of primes you for all different types of conversations related to money. I think that skill has just been so transferable and positive for me um, sort of takes the um, stress out of it when you realize that, you know, everyone's sort of a little uncomfortable. Negotiations can go really smoothly referencing a price sheet, or they can be really creative and problem solving. So um, I think, yeah, all fundraisers deal with sort of those challenges. And I think that's, I mean, I would encourage anyone who's interested in sales, who has a background in fundraising to give it a shot for sure. Sure. So gravity, gravity is a, it's a tool for fundraisers to use, right? So you're, you're, you're selling to fundraisers like basically to to the the position that you used to have you're you're selling to that and how long have you been doing that for so i've been at gravity for about five years now i started in customer success and then moved into account management then into sales enablement because i knew the product so well so it was easy to be sort of that sales engineer for our aes um and then saw that you know my skills were almost exceeding the, those that of the people i was working with so eventually went on to take on an AE role, um, yeah. supported by obviously my leadership, but yeah, the company focuses, um, on engaging communities. So there's, it's a five, um, software system essentially that essentially plugs into 
your existing technology to foster community, to um, enhance your fundraising efforts, and obviously personalize through some of the um, custom video um, and AI tools that we have. So you're selling yeah. mostly to nonprofits. Right? Nonprofits, for profits, primarily education. We're in the higher education yeah. space. Mm -hmm. um, so we work with a lot of alumni offices. We work with a, a ton of nonprofits, um, some corporate alumni offices. So that for profit, nonprofit feel. Um, yeah, it's it's really a system that can mold to any community. What are some of the challenges uh, inherent in selling to that uh, to that vertical? To you know, higher education and nonprofit. It's it's not you know selling to business, right? There there are many, um, <laughs> but I would say primarily it's establishing the why. Are you buying because you want this product and you think that this is going to help you do your job better? Is it your boss that has this grand vision that isn't involved in the sales process but has asked you to buy? Um, do you really understand the ROI of our product and how this is going to impact? Are you doing it just because everyone else is doing it? So it's sort of really authentically establishing that because there's, you know, prospect can tell you one thing, the thing that they hope the reason is, but it, it could be completely different. So really digging deep. And I think that speaks to authentically building those relationships. Um, I, you know, I sort of pride myself on the ability to be a bit of a chameleon and and create those relationships with different folks and make them feel comfortable in sharing really what's going on, the challenges, some of the opportunity. So I would say, yeah, just establishing really why this is a priority. And that then allows you to easily, you know, um, project timelines, potentially mm -hmm. budgets, um, you know, if you're aware of what their fiscal year looks like so that it, it's easier for you to then navigate through that sales process. So I think that's the the core of what I find challenging, but it's, you know, I'm up for the challenge. So it's all good. I was actually, I was recently, recently, Risa, um, listening to a podcast and the person was um, explaining how sales in America is different than like European sales and that in America, it's really much more about the bottom line budget. and. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, something that we talked about before us recording this podcast now was just, you're really good at your job and you were trying to think of like, well, why, you know, and, and I think building relationships is obviously a lot of that and everything you've just shared. Um, but particularly when it comes to nonprofits, it's easy to lean on or, or is it easy to lean on the fact that, listen, we're a nonprofit, this is, you know, charitable donations and there's a budget and we can't justify this type of expense. Um, mm -hmm. Can you talk about how you navigate that particular challenge? I know everyone has to navigate pricing, but there's an added challenge when it comes to nonprofits. Yeah. And, you know, your no budget is completely different than someone else's no budget, right? Like it could be $10,000 to you is just completely out of the realm of possibility and another nonprofit differently positioned or with different priorities could think 20 or 30. So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, like, it's a careful dance because you're right. It is about the bottom line, but people want to buy why you are in business almost as much as, you know, um, what you're doing. So functionality is great, but if you can weave in the sort of greater good of what you're doing and how that's going to impact, it's almost like that pricing conversation becomes secondary. I think if you're you're leading transactional sales, bottom line is everything. Everyone can do their own research online. You don't actually have to talk to a rep. You can 
find out about all the functionalities and features and read our case studies. So much of the buying process is done by the time they actually talk to you. So I do think that regardless of organization, it's that sort of, um, and it's so cliche to say like build authentic relationships, but if they don't trust you, they're probably, you know, if if you have a like for like product and I don't think gravity does, um, actually I know we don't, but if they interpret it that way, then they're going to choose someone who feels like, um, they're, you know, that force for good, for lack of a better word, because that's our company tagline, but that someone who is actually doing great things in, in the world and wants to support your initiative. And so, yeah, I'd say it's always in the back of my mind that money is, is sort of going to be the final check. But I think that there's you, you, you uncover all sorts of wiggle room when you actually define the problem and you're creative about creating a solution. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but... <laughs> Yeah. When you said uh, like three questions ago, (laughs) you answered, uh, and you said that you have to be a chameleon a little bit in sales. And now you're talking about, you know, putting yourself in their, yourself in their shoes. Is that what you mean? Like you have to kind of turn yourself into your client in order to sell to them? Yeah. I I think if you can mirror, um, first of all, what they're saying Mm -hmm. and how they're feeling and you know, be somewhat empathetic because I personally have the fortune of being in these roles previously. So I totally get where they're coming from. And so, but what I was actually meaning is, you know, the way you would talk to someone who's in a decision maker role would be completely different from how you talk to someone in the IT department, where that is just as important a part of the sale as talking to someone who is signing, you know, signing the contract. Um, you really have to make sure that you can be what they need you to be. If it's highly technical and type A, then that is what I am. If they are jovial and want to joke and have fun and sort of talk about their, you know, kids basketball camp, then I'm happy to do that as well. So I just, I think that um, it's not a wash and repeat mm-hmm. scenario ever. And so being able to understand what that you know, what the person on the other end needs is is super important. And I think that just comes with experience. Um, there's, you know, very tactical skills that you learn in the early days that you think are the be all end all. And then you realize you actually have the autonomy to be yourself. And that in some cases is why people buy from you because they like you, um, particularly if they're talking to many software companies or vendors that have a similar offering. So, you know, making sure that you are yourself, you're connecting with who they really are and giving them the the space, the safe space to, to share really what's important helps the deal cycle, obviously, because you can fit what they need um, yeah. instead of sort of pushing something that might not be relevant. So how do you, how do you balance that, that, you know, chameleon ability to, you know, be the, the kind of conversation partner that the person on the other end of the line really needs? How do you balance that with, you know, the need for authenticity, which is, you know, building authentic relationships, which is also such a big part of making sales. Yeah. I wouldn't say that being a chameleon means that you're inauthentic. I think that it, it just simply enables you to show different parts of your personality and, and, you know, try different, um, you know, tactics to open them up and, and sort of understand further what their actual, um, priorities are. So, I would say that, you know, completely putting on a show (laughs) and acting is not what I do. I think um, just taking from 
cues and understanding when someone is, you know, visibly bored or they're done with the conversation or they really just do want to talk or they need to sort of express something that might not be a part of the traditional sales process. I think just sort of picking up on those cues is important. And that's what sort of allows you to create those authentic relationships with a ton of different people, a ton of different stakeholders across the organization. I want to go back to what we also talked about earlier, sorry, about um, women in sales. Um, And you had said how it's just not something that was presented to you as a, as a girl or as a woman. Um, And I'm wondering, um, do you think that there's a hesitancy on behalf of women to enter the field or is it, or is it, and, or is it, you know, people aren't pursuing it. Um, And then a follow-up question. We'll start. Yeah. So I just think sales in general just doesn't seem to be something that is celebrated or overly promoted. Um, at least it wasn't for me. And maybe I'll take the blame. Maybe just my eyes weren't open. I mean, my dad was in sales. My brother's a realtor. My mom works for one of the biggest candy companies in the world, all in sales. And I guess I just never saw that for myself, maybe because I wasn't aware of what it offered. So as a as a woman, um, I certainly wasn't ever presented with sales, you know, roles or opportunities. Simply maybe because I wasn't pursuing them, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have that sort of um, baseline or I guess you know visibility into into industries that position sales um, as opportunities. So I would say, you know, when it comes to women entering into the field, it, it could be that they're ceiling challenges that aren't actually really challenges. You know, um, travel is one of the biggest things I hear when I talk to women, you know, you, it looks like you travel a lot that just wouldn't work for my lifestyle. I have kids, all of that. It's your choice. You, you seek jobs that fit just like everyone else. You know, there's travel in a lot of different jobs and you, is that less of a challenge now? Like given where the world is? I would say it's coming back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that we were all so virtual that it is now sort of the um, unique sort of interaction is is back in person. Um, but yeah, like the the travel topic or, you know, maternity leaves is, are you going to completely lose your portfolio if you leave for a couple of months? There's all these like challenges that only, it seems as if only women um, think about when they're, when they're choosing sort of a pathway. And so I would say, you know, women, at least across our organization, are some of the strongest performers. Um, they have, you know, a, the unique ability to make those connections, to um, use their sort of emotional intelligence to to navigate through deals in a slightly different way. And I think that there just needs to be more visibility in recruitment of women and not just at, you know, your, your post-graduation and you're in your second or third job start talking about this as sort of a viable path when you're in high school or in some of the business programs that exist at the college level. Yeah. I wish I would have sort of had more insight into how lucrative, how flexible, how um, you're essentially able to autonomously run your own show if you get to a level where your organization gives you that trust. What can a sales manager or sales leader, uh, male or female, do to make their organization more welcoming and and more kind of helpful to, you know, I want to say women, but like really just men and women and and kind of level the playing field more uh, so that nobody's held back. Yeah. I think a lot of organizations, including my own, do an excellent job of 
diversity in the workplace, whether that's gender um, equity or otherwise. And so I think in a lot of cases, just look inward. There's so many amazing people that in, in the case of a software company that know your product intimately. And I think that's what set me up for success is I knew the product really well. I knew our customers really well. And that set me up to be a really great salesperson. All of those, those up and coming customer success, account management reps, those are the folks that potentially could be moving into those positions. And I think a lot of organizations do that anyway. I also think something that is super important is um, making sure that you have some sort of internal mentorship program where you are connecting people that are new with those that, I mean, aspirationally, when someone starts, do they have the goal to become an AE or someone that is sort of in that sales-focused role? you know, connecting and helping them learn internally and and witnessing sort of or shadowing people who are doing those jobs really well. It's all you need to see a great female sales leader that enables all the other women in the organization to think that could be me. I think I have those skills. So um, yeah, no, I, I, and I think obviously that comes top down, having a strong leader, male or female that believes in that kind of equity um, is super important. And I'm fortunate to have that. You, you have a good mentor in your organization? Absolutely. And I think that's almost key to why I am where I am. Um, it's actually funny. I was, I still remember I was at a conference. I can't remember where, I don't remember what conference it was, but our now CEO was recently hired, didn't know who she was. She was just along for the ride and she was hired to build a team, essentially an account management team. Um, and she said, you know, I guess she like watched me for a little bit and was like, you, you're going to be on my team. And I didn't know, I, I had no interest at all in sales. I was perfectly happy in my cushy customer success role where I was just relationship building and, and sort of working through the day to day. Um, and that's still to this day who has brought me through into this leadership position and has given me the opportunity to honestly really spread my wings and, you know, reach my potential within this organization. So, um, yeah, couldn't be more grateful. You'd said that part of why women and maybe, you know, all genders maybe hesitant to enter sales is because it's uncomfortable to talk about money. Even if, even if you do it all day, every day. It's 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 not the same as talking about your favorite television show. It's just going to be mm-hmm. different. So how do you get past the discomfort? Like, is there an exercise you do? Is it like once you've done your first or your first five asks or whatever or pitches, like mm-hmm. what are some tips you give to people who are newer to the field? Yeah. I think some people are just more nervous about that topic. And I happen to be one of them, despite having achieved what I have. I just, it's still something that you know, it's how you navigate this is essentially going to, you know, progress or potentially halt the the sales process. Um, So I don't necessarily have any exercises, but I think about it as just a, it's just one of the check marks on my list of things that we need to go over today. And so when it becomes a slightly more mechanical, it feels less personal. And so, you know, I need to know your timeline. I need to know you know, potentially, do you have a budget? And let me just share with you what the range looks like. The worst they can say is this isn't going to fit for me. And that opens up a conversation of, 
well, what might fit for you? Because we have a lot of flexibility. There's promotional spend. We can get creative and fit something into your specific budget because we know not every, like you said, nonprofit has the exact same level of spending. Um, so I think it's, you know, taking taking the emotion out of it. It's not, it's not personal. We are selling a service that is going to greatly impact your organization. Probably the ROI is going to be far and beyond. In fact, I know it's going to be far and beyond what you're paying. And so it just needs to um, become slightly more of a sort of just a, a check mark item that you have to just cover versus it being a bit more squeamish. So, and I think it's the same for fundraising. I'll say asking for money for free is a lot harder than asking for money for something that is a product that's going to help. So that's why I think that skill is so transferable because those, those conversations are a lot harder when you are pitching, you know, a fundraising project where they're, you know, potentially just getting a great feeling from making that contribution. Yeah. Yeah. But there's less disappointment if they're not getting anything, they don't expect anything in return. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair There's enough. no world peace. What? <laughs> What's it like going from customer success into account management into into more of a sales focused role? How how has your job changed? It's it feels very similar in in the sort of relationship building aspect where if someone doesn't trust you, they're not going to do what you want them to do. So in mm -hmm. customer success, that's please take this action to help your you know platform system etc. thrive. In sales, it's please buy this product. So if they don't trust you, nothing will get accomplished. And so in that aspect, it's very similar. Obviously, having very clear targets and being measured against other people, it's hard to measure fondness for a customer service rep. And we all know the customer success folks that are all stars at their jobs. Every client loves them. And so that's, you know, it permeates and, you know, across the organization, you just, you just get it. But it's not sort of a something that you can specifically measure. Whereas obviously dollars in the door are. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a former college athlete. I like that pressure. I like the um almost a little bit of the stress because it propels you forward. Some people just don't like that. So I would say that that's the biggest difference is it's almost like you're far more visible in an AE role than you are as someone who is supporting the engine. And it's you know, I don't think that sort of fear of being more seen should prevent anyone from going into sales because it's the skill set is very similar. It's interesting that you bring in the analogy of sports because in some ways there's an individual competitiveness that you're going to feel, but then you also want to balance this element of having a unified team. Totally. I don't know if you could talk about the challenges of that, um, how you think teamwork plays into your role either in your own, you know, portfolio, but also in how you're mentoring others and some of the challenges too. Yeah, it is very challenging because you have your individual goals and of course you have your collective goals. And I think that's a balance that some people do really well and others do not. I'd say it's been a, it's definitely been a learning curve because I, I, I feel like when I first entered into my role, I had a lot to prove. Mm -hmm. Um, I was one of the only female AEs, um, my counterpart, uh, female AE was on a completely different team than I was. So it, it really felt like I was more so looking to be competitive against the team versus with the team as time has gone on. And I've realized that doesn't work with you. It only works against you. I feel like I've adopted more of a, a sort of a, a team first attitude where 
I, I do want to uplift others. And I know that as a senior member of the team, people look to me sometimes for answers. And um, it's a constant reminder that what I'm doing and how I'm, you know, um, sharing and, you know, the successes and the challenges and some of the nuances that you uncover in, in you know, deals should be shared. They should be sort of a feather in mind cap should be a feather in everyone's and vice versa. And so I, um, yeah, it's a tricky balance, but I think again, it's very top down. If you have team targets and you've built this sense of community within your business unit or wider, um, that definitely sort of frames how most folks will see the organization and I guess their job specifically. It also extends to your entire ecosystem. You know, are lawyers involved in your deal cycle? Are IT folks filling out IT forms? Um, are there executive sponsors involved? So, you know, if if it's a small enough team and we work, you know, we're not a small team, but it's small enough where you know most people um, at the company, mm-hmm. it's definitely something that has to be framed top down. And that permeates obviously um, throughout each team. So it's something that I've adopted and I love the opportunity to mentor anyone because I hope that, you know, everyone is successful, obviously makes our company more successful. So how do you manage that? Like cross departmental collaboration when you need to bring in somebody from, you know, the legal team onto a deal? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, personally, it's generally sort of a, a fun dance knowing how people want to be communicated with and everyone, everyone's different personalities and appetite for being involved. Um, so quite honestly, there's many different communication channels that we use. Some it's WhatsApp, some is email, some is an internal communication channel. Um, and it's sort of in, in my case, meeting people where they want to be communicated with so that you're keeping sort of that balance, um, and following the policies, procedures that have been put in place. Uh, and I think one centralized system may work for a good handful. And then there's those outliers that you'll just always give them a call. <laughs> so given the challenges of communication, um, if you can um, share an instance where persistence paid off and that might be internally and or externally to close that deal. Um, every deal ever. <laughs> um, yeah. Persistence and patience, I think go hand in hand. Uh, the deal cycles at our organization are all over the map. I think probably a lot of people can say that when they're working in multiple verticals. Um, so yeah, pretty much every every deal in some sense, there's persistence. Um, I would also say, you know, working my way into this role, I, I was in many different roles um, leading up to it. And I was the actually, I was, I was the one who, um, persistent, persisted in continuing to d- develop the skills I knew I needed for my current role and eventually got to the point where it felt time to propose mm-hmm. that I was um, sort of on my own and, and sort of did my own thing as an AE. So I would say just growth in the organization. And there were, you know, the different rungs you have to kind of go through or the steps that most people will take. Um more so in the in sort of growth of the company where it's obviously um, ended favor- favorably, uh, but I think every deal in some capacity, <laughs> you need persistence and patience. I want to ask one question that I'm going to pass the baton back to you, Menachem. Um, we talked about this, but if you're getting married and you're in sales, when's the best time in the quarter to get married? 
the beginning of any quarter. <laughs> it depends. There's some obviously organizations where a lot question. of at the end of the year, I would have chosen differently. Um, I got married in at the end of August, right in the middle. Not a good time. Not a good mm-hmm. time. Too too many too many stressors. And yeah, so I would say if I had to do it again, the beginning of the quarter, so you still have the rest to recover. Which which quarter is the best quarter to get married in? Um, good question. Thank you for asking. Um, I would say for me, probably Q2. Hmm. Personally, like we work a, a lot of higher ed, yeah. people are on vacation. It's less, you know. Yeah, I, I think everyone's Q2 is very slow. Yeah. Do you guys have like a big <laughs> Q4 uh, crunch? Say that again? Do you have? Do you guys have like a big Q4 crunch? Not necessarily crunch, but we're set up for an incredible Q4. So it's an exciting time at the company. Uh, okay. Yeah. So looking forward to the next three months, definitely. <laughs> what is it? What does your deal cycle look like? Like, you know, you, you already know now that you've got a good pipeline for Q4. So, you know, I'm guessing it's less than three months. Deal cycle. Interesting question. It is all over the map. Mm-hmm. I have some deals in my pipeline right now that have been sort of an ongoing conversation for more than a year and others that are less than three months. So it really depends a lot of time, particularly in higher education, it depends on the fiscal year. So we're now approaching a time where they can, it's, you know, the horizon of their fiscal year, which rolls over in June is, is, is visible to them. And so it's that planning phase where, um, you know, potentially new clients can come on board and um, take from their next fiscal. Yeah. So you've got these like long, you've got a few deals that are just like these long year long processes and your point of contact keeps on changing. And yeah, I mean, the bigger the, yeah, absolutely. The bigger the organization, the typically Mm -hmm. the longer the deal cycle, the smaller um, the team, typically it's just less decision makers and and a shorter Mm -hmm. deal cycle in our instance. All right. That's part of why I asked the persistence questions. Like I remember there were some where like it was years marathon. Yeah. And yeah. But you ran but it. Sometimes, you know, those clients tend to be the most invested. If mm-hmm. it's a snap decision, it's also a snap decision sometimes and the contract. So right. if you can sort of build this purpose into their strategy. And I, I mean, as painful as it is, I love being a part of strategic plan conversations or at least have insight into them because you can weave the product and its functionality and benefits into what their mandate is versus this would be nice to have. We saw another organization do this and not really understand the full sort of impact of adopting um, a a software or a piece of the puzzle. So yeah, as painful as those are, it's almost- They're really on board. Yeah. Reliable, consistent, you know, performer than those that are a little bit quicker. Although I love- fast deals. So don't, don't get me wrong. (laughs) If any of your future current or future, if anyone's listening right now, (laughs) no need to drag it out. (laughs) Just to clarify. Um, I think I'm curious to know, um, in terms of improving or learning about your field and sales and what have you, um, is there anyone that you follow on LinkedIn or that you read or uh, well, actually, I started a book club three months ago, so we're on our, our third book now. Um, so a lot of sales books, all the classics that we're reading, but personally, to continue to improve, 
I listen to a couple podcasts. Okay. Well, one is conversations with women in sales. Um, and then the other one is um, sales success stories. Both of those have just such good content and there's just, they're incredible guests that are in sales forward roles. And it's just wonderful to listen to others thriving and the challenges that they overcome and all of that good stuff, particularly the the conversations with women in sales. It It's just, it's nice to have sort of that, you know, connection to, to other sales leaders and sales performers in the industry. So both of those are kind of my weekly go-to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it just keeps me connected to all different, you know, industries. Um, yeah. And certainly any book that's suggested, I try to either read or audible. Uh, are there any specific people that you follow on LinkedIn that uh, you think help make you better at uh, better at your job? I follow a lot of the um, actually hosts of different podcasts that mm-hmm. I that I listen to. Mm-hmm. I also follow organizations just to get a sense of how they're marketing products and what's working and what's getting yeah. the most traction. Um, so I don't need to name the the organizations that, that I follow because they're you know a lot of them are in my industry, but. I tend to find, I find that the more you know about what your competitors and others in the industry, even if they don't have a similar product, helps you understand your customer better. So um, it's very it work specific, but there's a, there's a few in the mix that are more aspirational um, leaders that are sort of those podcast hosts that I mentioned as well. Right. So you would say that for somebody in sales, it would be more important for them to focus on their customers and what their customers care about and educate yourself in that uh, rather than educate yourself in, you know, sales kind of theory in general. I would say so because I think a lot of sales theory is anecdotal. I don't, there's, there's not a lot of science behind a lot of what the sales training offers. It's your own experiences and understanding people that has, I feel, you know, brought my success and I know many, many others. And so, yeah, that focus on obviously learning your craft, you know, you have to know how you actually complete a sale, um, Mm -hmm. but focusing on sort of the tactics and specifically what to say and how to say it, when to say it, um, it can only take you so far. A lot of that is learned by the person teaching it. It's not going to be applicable to everyone. And it's so funny that you phrased it that way. Another question that we like to to end with is, do you think that sales is more of an art or a science? Ooh, good question. I think behavioral is a science. So mm-hmm. important to know how people respond and why and why they buy. Uh, we just finished reading, I think it's the science of sales. And I found mm-hmm. that incredibly interesting. The um, science of sales. I haven't heard of that. Yeah, I feel like just, I should have it, if we it, keep on asking that question. Yeah, it just keeps diving in. It dives into um, behaviors based on you know instincts, and it's really just the science of behavior. Um, but I do think we've all met sales professionals that just get it versus those that just don't. So there is a yeah a, a careful dance obviously that some people master and they combine that with that behavioral knowledge um and others that sort of lean more into their own personality and don't really understand how they're coming across to others so i would say both i'm sorry that's a cop out but okay all right so i i think if we would say that there's a theme to what you've been telling us i'd say that you you focus a lot on putting yourself in your customer's shoes and 
um, kind of identifying the their behaviors and the behaviors that that you need to kind of adapt to in order to help them relate to you. Yeah, and and sort of focus on the problem solving and less on the product itself. I think if you can do that in any role, you'll be golden. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. It was so lovely to connect and I appreciate you inviting me. Um, yeah, an absolute best of luck with this podcast. Thanks for joining us for today's brew. Like what you heard? Let the world know. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Subscribe now so you never miss an exciting episode. See you soon.